Hello, I'm Dr. Annalene Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, we're going to focus on the importance of medical histories. So why are we looking at medical histories today, Mike, from the regulator or lawyer's perspective? Well, good morning, Annalyn. Well, everyone talks about how to complete a medical history and what should be in it. So I thought it might be interesting to flip it over and talk about what the consequences can be when you don't do it to the required standard, apart from the obvious possibility of an immediate result and adverse outcome. And this is also a way to gain insight into the areas that others perceive as deficiencies in the medical histories that we take. We can examine these not in a defensive manner, that is not, I'll do it this way so I don't get sued, but in a positive manner to improve our standard of practice. In the, I'll do it this way, as this is taking a medical history that is acceptable to our regulators and defence lawyers, sort of a way. And not surprisingly, This way is consistent with good clinical information gathering. The most common question about medical histories we get asked by members is, how often do you have to take or update a medical history? Mainly because this is not stated prescriptively in Australian dental practice. And for good reason, because like most things, one size does not fit all. While once a year may be adequate for most people, for some it would be potentially dangerously inadequate. We all have those patients who come in with a two-page list printed by their doctor detailing all their current conditions and medications. So we have to go back to basics. Why do we take a medical history? Why do we ask potentially personal and invasive questions about our patient's health? Well, for one reason only, so that we can provide safe dental treatment. And so this philosophy must also extend to how often we update medical histories. In my practice, we updated medical histories as a matter of course every six months, but we also asked verbally if there had been any changes to a patient's medical history at the commencement of every course of treatment. And the answer to this question modified how often we updated for the individual patient. So if we accept that a set interval may not suit all patient circumstances, how do we then decide when to update medical histories? Well, in my opinion, there are three criteria on which you can base the decision to review. The first is the already mentioned passage of time, that is, at set intervals. The second and an important one is patient reporting. That is, a patient telling you of a medical event or change in medication. Now, this can be formally, as in, my orthopaedic surgeon told me I should tell you that, or informally in conversation. I felt lousy ever since my bypass op and the infection in my new valve. And the third criteria is prior to a planned procedure. A mandibular surgical tooth extraction requiring bone removal is a good example because there are many potentially interacting health and medication scenarios. So once we have updated these medical histories, we may then continue with treatment as planned because there are no contraindications which is what happens in 19 out of 20 cases. We may choose to modify the timing of treatment. 
for example, in the post-surgical phase of cardiac stent placement, we would most likely delay treatment for three months. Or a patient's recent episode of uncontrolled diabetes and a doctor's efforts to get this under control may also warrant delay of treatment. Or perhaps in other cases, it would speed treatment up. Impending chemo or radiation therapy or pre-bisphosphonate IV transfusion uh, treatments. Thirdly, it may modify a treatment plan, for example, due to a high risk of bisphosphonate-related osteonecrosis of the jaw, a tooth with a hopeless restorative prognosis that was planned for removal may instead be endodontically treated and then left as a non-functional but inert route to negotiate the risk of removal. Similarly, and increasingly frequently, a diagnosis of early onset dementia may negate the advantages of high-maintenance treatments such as fixed bridge work. And lastly, we may elect not to proceed with treatment either medium or long-term. A patient who declares an inoperable tumour may no longer be concerned about their lack of posterior support. So, Mike, what are the regulators such as ARPRA concerned about? Well, I can't answer for the regulators, but Annalene, I think you would agree that from Dental Protection's experience, the regulators are very concerned if there is no current medical history. Now, this may sound self-evident, but unfortunately, we do see this from time to time. We have a saying in Dental Protection, good records, good defence. Poor records, poor defence. No records, no defence. Or similarly, no evidence of updating. In these instances... ARPA are concerned, and this may lead to, at best, a recommendation from ARPA that this be done, or at worst, a condition on their registration that a dental practitioner take compulsory further education into the requirements of clinical record keeping. This can occur regardless of what the initial complaint was to ARPA. It may have been loose dentures, it may have been dissatisfaction with a bleaching outcome. It doesn't matter. ARPA reviews all aspects of a patient's treatment. As a more general comment, regulators wish to see evidence of a thought process behind the medical history. The history should not be an administrative exercise where a patient signs it and it is filed away. Like all other clinical records, the medical history should be personalised for the individual concerned. If there are relevant yes responses on a medical history, regulators want to see evidence of further questioning. For example, a yes response to a question such as heart problems should be followed by an explanation of what sort. Was it a heart attack? And further questioning by the dental practitioner along the lines of, did you have surgery? Do you have a stent? Are you on any medications? Do you see a cardiologist? All these questions are relevant to a comprehensive history. And most dental practitioners ask these questions but we also need to evidence this as well. If it is not written down, it didn't happen. And this is fair enough. Are you really going to remember next time you see a patient what questions you had asked verbally but not recorded last time around? Another common area that was explored by Dr Geraldine Moses in her webinar for dental protection is stated allergies. When a patient says they're allergic to a particular antibiotic, what do they mean? A true allergy? Or as often the case with, say, erythromycin, stomach upsets and diarrhoea. Now this is important, as Geraldine pointed out, 
Sometimes dental practitioners will swap to a less effective antibiotic or even to an antibiotic with more severe potential side effects than the stated allergy. Thanks, Mike, and thanks for raising that webinar by Geraldine. It was fantastic and it's well worth going back and watching if you hadn't had the opportunity yet. So what's the relevance then of what lawyers want to see? Well, that depends on who they're representing. When a defence lawyer appointed by Dental Protection is assisting a member, we all like to see a comprehensive recent medical history dated and signed by the patient with some additional notes on it in the dental practitioner's handwriting or in the clinical notes. Offering context and further information to what has been provided by the patient. As dental legal consultants, we have all experienced that heart-sinking moment when we review a member's records and find that they have limited or missing information. But I always ask patients if they are allergic to penicillin before giving it to them is a common catch cry. But even more so than with the regulators, if it is not written down, it didn't happen. From a plaintiff lawyer's perspective, not only did it not happen, but in a legal claim, a plaintiff's expert report might say not only that you didn't ask, the very fact of not asking is evidence that you are practising below the expected standard. So a claim that you just didn't write it down in this instance won't wash. You didn't ask, and worse still, you're practising below the standard by not having asked. This will then compromise other aspects of your records and defence. It's another brick in the wall attempting to betray you as an incompetent and negligent practitioner. Members often feel this is unfair, but these are the rules that we play by. The Dental Board of Australia's codes and guidelines say it should be written. And to be honest, saying I always warn about the possibility of inferior alveolar nerve damage most likely means that you do routinely but not necessarily every single time. We all look before we cross the street, but still some of us get hit by a car every now and then, usually the one time we forgot to look. I think I'm an honest and always pay for my purchases, but I've walked down the road and later realised I forgot to pay for my coffee. Not often, but it does happen. If we document it, we know it happened. I hope you went back and paid for that coffee, Mike. So how then have patient medical histories factored in some of the more serious claims that dental protection has had? Well, Annalyn, I think you would agree the most serious and high-value claims that we see that hinge on medical histories are claims based on failure to prescribe prophylactic antibiotics or post-operative antibiotics, usually relating to infective endocarditis, but not necessarily. Sometimes the more serious claims can involve infections in other areas of the body remote from the dentition as well as localised or systemic infections. The claim is often based on an allegation that a failure of the dental practitioner to consider or know of for example, a previous cardiac valve replacement, an immunosuppressive condition that would alter usual antibiotic protocols, or a particular susceptibility to infection based on racial, social or physical conditions led to the infection in question. Now, based on the therapeutic guideline protocols or other expert opinion, these claims can often be denied on a scientific basis. However, if the medical history demonstrates that the possibility was known or explored sufficiently, it is then difficult to argue that this was a sound clinical decision based on knowledge not to prescribe. 
Similarly, bronze or osteonecrosis related to similar osteoporotic medications can lead to some devastating loss of oral bone and teeth for our patients. Now, we are well aware that even following all the recommended protocols relating to tooth removal, our patients are still at risk of developing this condition. And this argument can be used if your protocols are consistent with good contemporary clinical practice. However, if the risk is not recognised in the medical history or explored in the, clinical in the clinical records as part of the consent process, this defence is negated. You cannot claim to have considered the appropriate treatment if you did not have sufficient information about your patient's medical history. Other claims can be allegations that appropriate steps have not been taken to manage warfarin or newer anticoagulant medications, or claims that post-operative conditions such as dry socket were caused by a failure to prescribe antibiotics. These claims come from patients who have been distressed by their post-operative complications, often from a seemingly simple dental procedure. If our medical history taking is robust, we can defend the clinical decision if it is appropriate. So I hope this has been helpful and perhaps shown another side of why thorough and individualised medical history taking is an important part of our practice of dentistry. It really has, Mike. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We hope this podcast was helpful to you and look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection Podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.